I want to go to Luke chapter 1, and I want to read verse 17. This is talking about John the Baptist, the forerunner, and the, the first coming. We, in 2021, anticipate the second coming of Jesus, the gathering up of the church, the consummation of the age, the harvest of the lost souls. We're at a point in 2021 where in two years, the, uh, this, the population will be at certifiably 8 billion people. And there has never been a better time to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, to be engaged in kingdom purposes, to make God our priority and live our little brief little lifespan. You know, I have a friend who's going to be 100 years old this month. Her name is Irene, and she is 100 years old in just a few days. That is pretty cool. That's a, that's a century last time I checked. And she and her husband uh, started, Bill, started a radio broadcast in England that is one of the most powerful voices of the gospel in Great Britain. And she was the catalyst when I met with my, before Patsy and I got married, we went on a mission trip to Europe and to Israel in 1978. And we met that family, Mr. and Mrs. Brooks and their daughters at our hotel in Jerusalem. And um, we baptized one of them in the Sea of Galilee, and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been friends ever since, Diana Stacy. And, uh, but Irene, the mother, when uh, she found out I was going through Bible school, she said, uh, you know, offered to, uh, with her connections, give me uh, the beginnings of what was the start of my ministry. So God used that elder British Christian that had a favor with the Elam Pentecostal Church, the Assemblies of God, the Methodist Church, the Church of England, Anglican Church. I think she knew everybody in the entire British Isles. And I had so much favor that I had to plead with them to limit my schedule because I was preaching so much. And God had opened up so many doors and that we had the head of both of these denominations come to us and offer a provision to get us over to the country because what we were carrying was um, fiery good news. God had equipped us in Bible school. We had some things to share about the authority of the believer, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we were engaged about soul winning. We were going out in the streets, and at the time, the punk rock movement was happening, and we were having great engagement with the punk rockers and having a wonderful favor in the churches. And while we were fasting and praying there in a place called Christian Cottage in Liverpool, England, we got the revelation that, wait a minute, you're supposed to go back and build a home base in Chesterfield from which to reach the nations of the world. We were all rambunctious. We saw that Europe was trending into post-Christianity. America was at a pretty good place in the late 70s and early 80s, but in Europe it was not so much. It was starting to decline spiritually, and I thought we better give our lives to this moment, to the nations. But then the Lord said, no, I want you to come back and plant right in the heartland of St. Louis, and I want you to build a home base in Chesterfield. When he told me that in 1977, that was a full 11 years before Chesterfield Incorporated. So how prophetic is that? God knew that this would be a city, and God knew that we would then get in this place where we would need the city council to come in and help us get the zoning worked out for this, what was a warehouse, an industri light industrial warehouse, and convert it into a church. And Linda Tilly, the councilwoman, and others came in, and they said, do you want to turn this into a church? And I said, yes. Later on, Linda Tilly became a Christian in this building. Tom Hall, the designer of these buildings, got, God used him to help us. 
And so here we are, all these years later, we started in 1988, and if you ever want to know the age of our church, just look at our youngest daughter, Addison. Addison Kowalik is the exact age of this church, and she and Steve have a little, uh, their little boy just turned two years old. They just went out on a date. They played tennis all day yesterday. Then they went out on a date last night while we, the baby was asleep, so we took care of that with a little baby monitor. That's easy babysitting. Then they came back in, and they're all sweet and all cool, you know, and all Euro-fabulous. So if you want to know what St. Louis Family Church looks like, look at those guys. Cranking out babies and playing tennis. Look at somebody next to you and say, we are young and fresh. Luke chapter 1, I want to talk to you about the value of preparation. I want you to adapt. My message is to get you to get in some adaptation and acclimation to the times. I want you to understand the value of the season that you and I are in. I don't want you to demean it. I don't want you to be confused about it. I don't want you to be like I've been for so many years, addicted to activity, where you confuse activity with achievement and achievement with activity. You think the more you spin your wheels, the more you're spinning plates, the more you think you're doing for God. I've been caught up in that. My personality is such. But God has shown me seed time and harvest, and he's put me from Southern California with a temperate kind of a constant warmth and a very, very subtle uh, seasonal change to a more specific seasonal change in this, this latitude. He planted me in this environment, and I'm glad because he's teaching me the rhythm of life. He's teaching me that it's time to sow. Sometimes it's time to reap. Sometimes it's time to let the ground uh, take a break. Uh, you don't need to mow your lawn right now because it's not growing. Although lawnmower people are mowing lawns right now, I guess, to make more money. But they really don't need to. It's like they're just skimming over. Now, I had to cut my hair this morning because it gets bushy because of this uh, uh, quarantine. I had some quarantine hair. And my barber is here looking at me, so I don't, my stylist, I don't want her to look too close. From this distance, I look pretty good. In my own mind. Say to somebody next to you, in his own mind, he does. Okay, so that's, that's, well, the guest speaker here thinks I was gorgeous, so that's good. All right. Say, Pastor Jeff, you married up. Luke chapter 1, I want to talk about preparation. Now, this is about John the Baptist. Verse 17, it says, It is he who will go as a forerunner before him. Now, he being John the Baptist, and before him, in my Bible, it's a capital H, and that's talking about Jesus. So one thing has to precede another. Preparation precedes progress. There had to be a voice crying in the wilderness, saying, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so that voice is being articulated today. But in this moment, in the first coming, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, John the Baptist was not Elijah because Elijah was Elijah. John the Baptist was John the Baptist. There's only one Elijah, but yet... He goes out in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Similarly, in Malachi, the last chapter, in one of the last prophecies of the Old Testament, it's so full of hope, it talks about how God will restore the hearts of the sons to the fathers, fathers to the sons. There'll be some restoration and hopefulness. This is a great message of hope in this preparation for Jesus coming on the scene. Because when Jesus came on the scene, what did John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the world. He's come to save us. So it says here, 
to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And now look at this. And the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. The disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. Right now there's a attitude adjustment in the, in the body of Christ. Judgment starts in the house of God. So there's an attitude adjustment. In fact, in the New Testament, it says if we have a different attitude, God will reveal this to us. How many of you have had a different attitude? My wife has pointed it out to me many times. You've got a different attitude. And we want to get lined up with the right attitude, don't we? We want to have an attitude of gratitude. We want to have an attitude of, of exclusivity for Jesus, where he's priority. We want to have an attitude of faith. We want to have an attitude of forgiveness. We want to have an attitude of mercy and tolerance. And, and we want to have an attitude of expectation. We want to have an attitude that is most befitting of who our God is. Our God is mighty. He is the Lord of the harvest. He's our heavenly father. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the master builder. He is mighty. And he deserves our full attention. Can I hear an amen? amen. And so he says that, you know, in his case, in that moment, he preached a baptism of repentance and got people stirred toward the things of God. And I like the style of John the Baptist. He didn't go to the marketeers. He didn't buy extra stimulus on, on his website. He didn't get people from other countries to become his friends on, on social media. In fact, he went out the opposite direction and went out into the wilderness and he, he read about the keto diet and he read about all that and he said, I'm just gonna eat locusts and wild honey. He read the latest fashion trends and he just said, I'm just gonna wear uh, a pair of fur cutoffs. He just kind of walked around in counterculture. And this reminds me of Elijah. This is talking about the spirit of Elijah. He did the same thing. There's a place called Haifa in Israel, modern day Israel, which is a port city north of Tel Aviv. But just a few miles inland, there's a place called Mount Carmel. And there was a time when Ahab, a very soft and numb-minded leader, had an evil queen, uh, Jezebel. And the synergy between the numbness of the soft leader and the harsh evil of the queen, she brought Baal worship and introduced it into Jehovah worship. And God did not want that. God did not like that when he was bringing Moses down with the law and Aaron and those guys started making a gold calf out of earrings. He, didn't, he does not like that sort of thing. And so God wanted to sift that. He wants uh, us to flow with him and focus. You know, listen, intellectualism is an idol. Hedonism is an idol. You can make music an idol. You can make so many things an idol. And we got to get rid of all of our idols. And we got to get back to this attitude of the righteous where we're going with God. I don't mean strict religious sort of uh, austerity. I'm not talking about being a dogmatic or being just sort of a harsh. I'm talking about being focused. Everybody say focus. So this is a message about a forerunner preparing. And it says, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let's read that out loud. So as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So God is instilling an attitude check for the righteous. He's purging disobedience, so we'll be obedient. Isaiah 119 says that if you and I are willing and obedient, we will eat the good of the land obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, obedient to the word. There's a lady here who had a job with a good pay, 
but it was a difficult kind of toxic environment. So she got and got another job, and it was less pay. And she thought, this is sort of crazy. I'm, I'm taking a job for less pay. But she took it being led by the Holy Spirit. I talked to her just, she sent me a nice email, and then I talked to her on the patio before church. She had just a beaming smile. She took her mask off. She was, I could tell she was smiling. This and, then she, and, and, and she said, it seemed kind of crazy. But then she got a raise. Another guy told me, you know, I just got a bonus at work because somebody else got promoted and the boss wanted me to be happy and make sure I was happy, so he just gave me extra money. I love that sort of thing. I love it when stuff like that happens. And, you know, in both cases, they were obedient. He's not over there going, he got the promotion I should have got. He was like, no, I'm cool. And the boss goes, I want to keep you cool. Here's some extra cash. Big old pile of cash. He was wheelbarrowing it around. It was flying everywhere. <laughs> I mean, better than the cash, this lady had this beaming smile. I think she was happier about the atmosphere than even the money. But she got both because she was in cooperation with and obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that's really what John the Baptist was prompting the Jewish people toward. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Get ready. Something amazing is about to happen. You're fortunate to see a three-year ministry about to transpire. He's coming out. The, 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 the son of David has finally arrived, and you guys get to be that beginning, fledgling generation that gets to see the salvation of the Lord. And, and, and so be prepared for it. There was a lady named Anna at the temple, an elderly lady, and she just offered up work at the temple because she was, had an anticipation. Before my life is over, I'm going to get to lay my eyes on the Messiah. And there was another man named Simeon, a very similar, uh, an older guy. And he, he, when they saw when Mary and Joseph dedicated Jesus at the temple, they said, this is it. Hallelujah. So there was a generation that verifiably saw Jesus in his earthly ministry. And there's going to be a generation that is verifiably going to be caught up, and then there will be a second coming. And so we're closer, of course, closer to that one than any generation so far. So this is very pertinent for us that we maintain a preparation. These are the last days. And as such, we read this model from the, earth, the beginning of the last days, and we see, wow, there was a voice crying in the wilderness, a forerunner with, that had the spirit and power of Elijah. You know, cults have done this through the 50s. One guy got up and said he was Elijah, and then he crashed in a car. You don't, you don't want to run around and say you're Elijah. You're not Elijah. And we don't want to strut around and say, I'm, I'm this unique entity in the body of Christ. That's, you know, it, it, it's like, no, the body of Christ, it has this potential, if we'll listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, we'll get an attitude of, of righteousness and we'll get back into a place of obedience and therefore we'll be a people made ready, prepared for the Lord. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Man, I believe in preparation and I look at these walls and I honor the people that painted them. They're, one of them's here today. And uh, let me tell you about their work. They're so good at preparation. Most of the work uh, isn't just the spraying and the rolling. That, that's sort of all saved for the end. But what they do is they come in and they lay out drop cloths to protect our beautiful carpet and chairs, move the chairs, and they, they spend a lot of time with that. Then they look at all the surfaces and they prepare and, and prep the surfaces. And they'll take 
Uh, sandpaper where things are rough. They'll remove a nail or a piece of tape where things aren't right. If they look at the, the, the curvature of the walls, if this person before patched a, a, a bit of drywall and it's, it's rough, they'll, they'll take it and they'll feather it out. They'll get some compound, some mud they call it, and they'll, they'll feather it out and they'll wait till that dries and they'll sand it and get it just right. They'll come back and they'll do something called cut work. And they'll get up on scaffolding or, or on uh, ladders and they'll take a, a brush and, and those of us that aren't skilled will use a piece of tape to make sure the line is, is straight. But, but when you have a steady hand and you're, a prep, you're skilled at prep, you can make a good straight line and kind of uh, cut it in. And the cut work takes a long time. And the surfaces of these walls, was well, like eight square miles of walls right here. So then you, this isn't like painting a bathroom. So, but yet, then they get it all ready and everything's set up. And then they do the spraying and the rolling. And the preparation is what makes it the difference between the way I learned to paint when I was a kid and these professionals. Because my dad would say, hey, go paint this room. So I'd go in there, and I remember one time I painted, and he couldn't, my dad couldn't flip the switch on the light switch. So what's up with the toggle switch? It's stuck. And it's because I painted it. Now a prep, somebody that understands prep will take a screwdriver I didn't have time to go get a screwdriver. Are you kidding me? I just want to paint it and then go ride my skateboard with my friends. But you take that off and you paint around it and then you put it back on there, right? So I've learned since then. How many of you have learned that it's, it's, it's important to be prepared? There's a lady that told me she's having a brain surgery. That's a big deal. So I prayed for the preparation. We prepared in prayer. I prayed for the nursing staff the people that clean the operating room, all the equipment. I prayed for the, the anesthesiologist. I prayed for the nurse. I prayed for, for all the equipment. I came against infection. I, I prayed a preparatory prayer that she would have a good night's sleep. She'd come in with peace. She'd come in full of faith. And that when they go in there, it's I prayed the best job that surgeon has ever done in the history of surgery. Got to prepare. I even prayed for the sight on her head where she's going to have to have her hair cut and things like that, even the cosmetic stuff. Because in God, everything matters. Listen, I worked at a restaurant, and let me tell you, in 1974, I came out of high school, and I went to work, and they put me in the dishwasher area. And I, I had a work ethic, and I, and I had become a Christian, and I wanted to do my work heartily unto the Lord. And I knew that all work, in all labor, there's profit, and all work is valuable, right? Look, God prepared David by being a shepherd. God prepared Jesus by being a carpenter. God prepared Paul by being a tent maker. And God prepares us, and he gets us ready. God prepared Daniel. He had to study conversation for three years before he earned the right to speak a conversation to the king. Esther had to, boil, had to soak in oil for a year before God anointed her to get the Jewish people saved from the extermination plans of wicked Haman. Wow, that'll preach right there. And God's getting our church ready through this season for the next wave of things. I've watched this for decades, and I see seed time and harvest. I anticipate. I've learned enough from being in St. Louis to look up in the sky and know when it's going to rain. I've learned to know that, you know, next week we get to hallelujah, set our clocks where the sun doesn't go down at 4.30 in the afternoon. You know, and that there's a sign on Long Road where this person keeps saying it's 25 more days till spring, 24 more days till spring. I looked at it yesterday. They didn't have it up. It's like, come on, keep it going. 
You've given me a target. Everybody say, make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In that restaurant, I got a promotion, and I went from the, the uh, dishwashing to being a sous chef or a prep chef. And I loved it because I could come in and um, early in the afternoon before, the, before it opened for dinner, and I had all these vegetables in cases, and I had to wash and scrub all these vegetables, and I had a, I had a system. And I was working in conjunction with the chef. So my job was to get these stainless steel containers all you know, sterilized and cleaned, all ready and cooled off, and then I would be the chopper. And I still am the chopper at my home. They get, hey, I need three onions. It's like, oh, man, I wish nobody knew how good I was at this. <laughs> but, because uh, I, I mean, I learned how to score them and cut them and uh, just really fast, and I know exactly how not to cut them for Patsy. They have to be certain small, little, and just right, and uh, it's awesome, but uh, I guess for them. But anyway, at work, when I would do that, just like with doing the dishes, I knew if I, got the, if I got the salad plates done early and I got them in the freezer, they would get chilled and get that nice icy feel so that they could serve the salads chilled. And then I got the, uh, the entree plates and then put them in the heater so that, and, and so I just kept that rhythm, kept that rhythm. Well, then on the other side, I needed to keep that rhythm of preparation. I became a prep chef. Everybody say prep chef. So I prepared this stuff. I chopped the onions. I chopped the carrots. I got these things ready and julienne things and all kinds of different stuff. And it just have big bundles of them so that in a, in before anybody came in the restaurant, before the doors were open for service, before anybody was out there, and, and while I was doing that, the wait staff was putting tablecloths on the table and salt and pepper shakers in the middle, making sure the, the napkins were in place and the utensils were in place. The busboy was getting his tubs ready and they were all getting prepared. And, and there was this sense and anticipation that when the door opens, there's gonna be a flood of hungry people. And I worked with this chef. He was such an adamant person. He, he took his responsibility so seriously. He was from a, he's from a, a, a culture, a, a family from the hill of chefs. In fact, he visited our church a couple of years ago. And uh, his name's Johnny Gito. He's a relative of Charlie Gito. And I heard Johnny Gito was there. I said, Johnny, I'm Jeff. And he was like, I said, I was the, uh, I did dishes and I was, you know, I was lowly. So he didn't at first know who I was. I said, I worked with you for about a year. He goes, how did I do? Because he was tough. I said, you did great. I, I loved working with you. And here's why. Because you wanted to provide the best food, the most delicious, beautiful food for the people. And in fact, listen, guys, this was called at the time Rich and Charlie's. And there was a guy named John Ferrara, uh, uh, Joe Fresta, and Kim Tucci. And two-thirds of those guys would come back in the kitchen and help. I won't tell you who the other one was, but, but the other ones, they wouldn't be afraid to roll up their sleeves if things got overwhelming and they would do dishes and never did the one, there was one guy that went back there and worked, he never disparaged us for getting behind. We got behind usually because there was a certain peak where things were just, I mean, the bus tables, the, the buckets were full, there, there, there were no dishes, everything, and they all knew it every, because it was such a good restaurant. So they, he would come back and help do the dishes and get it all. And, and he was prepared every time to come in and be willing to do a menial task. 
And I learned from that. I'm getting back to Johnny Gito in a second, but this was, this was another man, and I got invited to be a speaker at some posh invitation-only event, and we're all suited up, and I ran into one of the owners of what became the Pasta House Company. It went from little lowly Rich and Charlie's to the Pasta House Company because it had this target for excellence. I'll tell you what, to this day, whenever we eat there, I know for sure that that place, the, the, the attitude they have about cleanliness, they made us stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning cleaning that kitchen. I mean, it was perfect. We had to pull tables out and clean with brushes and, and clean it and scrub it, I mean, with hot water and soap and get it all clean and scrubbed. And you'd walk away and think, this looks like it was just built today. And that, so when I come in and eat, I go, man, I know this place, they have, they have high standards in the little things, behind the scenes things. They're preparing. I know that they're preparing. I'd buy a meal and I'd order a meal and I knew somebody put the care, the tender loving care to make this happen. And there was a synergy between that person and then the, the chef that was the one that would bring all the stuff together. And they'd say, I need more artichoke hearts. I need more lettuce. I need more, I need more uh, uh, cabbage. I need more. And it would all be there because there had been all this work chopping, preparing, chopping, preparing. This is what Jesus said to the fishermen. Get your nets ready. Take your nets out and clean your nets. What did it mean to clean nets? Get the twigs out. Get the, get the tears out and mend the nets and get them ready with the anticipation for, for a tremendous catch. And that's faith. Preparation is faith. And this is what I didn't know for a while. I thought I used to hate lulls. I used to hate the in-between times because I thought inactivity equated to, to no achievement. I thought that, we just hurry up, come on. I was just all about keeping moving. I've learned something since then, that those seasons are good for us to prepare. I think about the farmers here in Missouri, and I've had the privilege of talking with some of them. What do they do during the lulls? They make sure all the bearings are right in their, their, their tractors. They, they oil things up. They change the oil in their crankcases. They make sure the tubes and the, and the belts are all just right. They sharpen their blades. They get things ready for, every, and they clean things up. They polish things up. They make things just right. They make sure they have enough seed. They figure out the systems of what they're going to do. They work through the cold months and planning. This is where we're going to do corn this year. We're going to rotate our crops so we don't deplete the soil. This is where we're going to do wheat. We'll do winter wheat this year. This is where we're going to plant rows of soybeans. And this is where we're going to have, the, the, this was an irrigation problem, so we're going to figure this out. We're going to spend some time in the off season filling up some of the ditches and, and refining some of the runoff. That's what this voice was saying here, a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. God is priority one, wanting a people that are humble, that are these three things, Malachi 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with the Lord, to have an attitude of the righteous where it's, God, I want to open up to this preparation phase. I want to be cognizant of what you're doing. Last week, Pastor Patsy shared along these lines. The week before, I talked about getting rid of parasitic drag off of your wings. Remember, I talked about the amazing moment in 1947 when the X-1 jet aircraft uh, out in the, in the California desert 
with Jack Ridley, the engineer on the ground, who was also a pilot, and beautiful Chuck Yeager, who had broken his ribs the day before horseback riding. And Jack Ridley not only tweaked the, the uh, ailerons or whatever the thing was that was getting a, a sound wave, a shock wave, was building on this thing, and it was preventing them from being able to steady the, the vessel. And they got the revelation to make this little adjustment with the tail and then a little bit of an adjustment with this part so that they could override that pressure and get the thing leveled because they would, they would get right up to the sonnet to the Mach 1 and then it would start shaking violently. And these guys had a passion. They were the guys that you remember were ace pilots in World War II. Jaeger got shut down, uh, shot down in France, occupied France, but the resistance protected him from being captured. One day he shot down five people. He became an ace of the day that day. He was an amazing pilot and he was willing to step up and break through what they thought in 1946 physics, nobody could ever go through, but they prepared, they prepared, they prepared. And God set it up because Jack Ridley, these guys were from Oklahoma and West Virginia. So they knew how to speak to each other in simple terms. They were both test pilots, so they had respect for each other. But in the words of Chuck Yeager, Jack Ridley was the brain. But he said, I trust Jack Ridley. And Jack Ridley would take what all his technical terms and he would simplify them and make them into layman terms so that Chuck Yeager could grasp it. And Chuck Yeager was enabled then to put his life in his hands. They had such a synergy between the two of them that it enabled those guys in 1947 bang, to press through the sound barrier. And to this day, pilots, when they get to Mach 1, about 700 and something miles per hour, they think about Chuck, Chuck Yeager because he, he set the precedence. I think as we're coming into revival, I think about John the Baptist. I think about the spirit of Elijah. And I think about Jesus and what he wants to do in our generation. See, he does not want our generation to go to hell and burn in hell for eternity. He does not want the church to live in a lackadaisical position. He wants our hearts to return to one another. He wants our hearts to be on fire. And he wants us to have an attitude of the righteous and be made ready and prepared for the day of the Lord. I love my preparation work at the restaurant because I knew I was contributing. And uh, though I was never the guy that fi finalized the meal, I was the guy that got to contribute. I loved it. And when the Johnny Gito asked me, how did I do? I said, you did great. You had high expectation. You had strong demands. He'd occasionally blow a gasket, but we, he was only a year or two older than me. I was like 18 and he was like 20, but he was like the boss and he really knew how to cook. And that place is still prospering to this day. And I love that. I love it when hometown, you know Panera Bread was St. Louis Bread Company. I remember where it started. I love that kind of thing, don't you? Yeah. It, it, can anything good come from Nazareth? I want to see great things transpire from each one of our individual lives. Why not? God has a plan. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against his plans. But we need to live in this understanding of preparation and readiness. I'm excited because in my 20s, the Lord spoke to my heart, my young and compulsive immaturity, and said, listen, I want you to be in the long haul. I want you to have longevity. Even before, when I first got saved, God, keep me in this and deliver me from bringing reproach to you. I didn't even know what I was praying. I didn't even understand the word reproach. But I asked God, please help me with that. From the beginning when I was 16 years old. So then God began to speak to me. You're not for this season. 
You're not, don't even bother to get in this pecking order of the who's who in all these things in the ministry culture. Don't try to compete with anybody else. Don't compare yourself among yourself. Don't, you're not in competition with other churches. No, you're not. No, you, you just do what I want you to do for as long as I want you to do it. I think about John the Baptist. He doesn't go to Madison Avenue for marketeering strategy. He goes out and he's eating locust wild honey, wearing, a, wearing a, a, his Levi cutoffs, and he's out there saying, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And people were all going out to that. When Elijah poured water on the fire, when he called down fire on Mount Carmel, he poured water on the firewood. I built a fire yesterday. I didn't put water on it. Sometimes I use lighter fluid but I'm not putting water on it. You don't put water on a fire, but Elijah did, because it's, it's gonna be God. It's, I'll show you who is Baal God or is God God. God is God. God could deal with a little bit of water on the fire. You say, well, I feel kind of waterlogged, Pastor Joe. I don't even feel ready. Well, that's why I'm preaching about readiness. I, I'm preaching, make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so this is what I, I, I mean, Joseph was being prepared to become the vice president of Egypt and to be the, the, the chief consultant and guide during a famine. He became called upon to be a famine relief expert, and he was just a little shepherd boy amongst the patriarchs under his father Jacob, and then he went to the Potiphar's prison, and then one thing after the other, all worked together to prepare him. And in fact, Joseph went ahead and shaved his Hebrew beard off before he met the Pharaoh because the Egyptians didn't like beards. Paul the Apostle was a builder of tents. And then he gets called upon to write half the New Testament. And at one point he, to cooperate with the moment he was in, shaved his head. He became all things to all men that he might save some. He became all things for the sake of the gospel that he might become a fellow partaker of it. Listen, there's an anointing on what I'm preaching that will make you more engaged in an enhancement on your effectiveness if you'll listen to and understand and value this day of preparation. If I went into that job and I thought, I want to be the chef, and I think this, this is crummy to have to sweep the floor and do the dishes. I, I think this is a waste of time to have to chop vegetables and make salads. I'd rather be the one that makes the mastacholi, because everybody knows Life revolves in St. Louis around Mastacholi, but actually you don't call it Mastacholi, you call it Muscacholi. There's no K in Mastacholi, but whatever. Oh, don't underestimate the value of little acts of obedience. Don't underestimate the value. God's looking for people who are willing to do menial tasks heartily unto the Lord, because that's what precipitates other further kingdom duties. How you do your work, heartily unto the Lord. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Right? Mr. Miyagi, why are you making me wax your car? Mr. Miyagi, why are you making me wax your car? Why are you making me paint your deck and your fence? Why do I have to paint your fence? Remember when Mr. Miyagi comes out going, wow, 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 and the guy had all the... Wow, just wax on, wax off. I just got to defend myself from Mr. Miyagi. And then ultimately, what was the other guy's name? There's a new show about the guy now. What's that guy's name? Johnny? You see the bad guy with the blonde hair? Johnny? Yeah. So Johnny cometh. 
So you got to get ready to wax on, wax off and understand the value of it. Pastor Jeff, this has been a weird year. I know. God's getting us ready for something. Am I saying God authored all this stuff? Heck no. But, but what the enemy means for harm, God turns around for good is what I am saying. And we are building a special set of muscles. We're building muscles that we didn't know we needed for jobs that we didn't anticipate we would be responsible to perform. And this message, chapter 1, verse 17, I'll get ready to close. It says, it, it is he who will go as a forerunner before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. And I think what I want to say about this is there's always this kind of dimension prior to a breakthrough. And we who want to be sensitive to the Lord can see that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance and whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he wants us to get rid of the parasitic drag. That's what the verbiage was in the days of the X1 with Jack Ridley and Chuck Yeager. They, they had felt parasitic drag on the wing surfaces. And they had to figure out how to eliminate it so that they could go to a new dimension. And that's why we preach about laying aside bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, poisonous mindsets like resentment. And the way we can solve bitterness and unforgiveness is by chronically forgiving. There are people who hurt me for decades, and I've just had to continue as a pattern to go to the dimension of forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. There are people who have died that I have to carry forgiveness toward. Because when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Number two, let's get rid of the prison of limited beliefs. Replace doubt with trust and faith. You know, spending time in God's word, the secret of strength is not determination, human determination. The secret of strength is absor absorption of the words of God. In fact, Daniel studied conversation for three years before he could have a meal with the king. David tended sheep before he became the prophet, priest, and king. Peter, the fisherman, became a fisher of men. St. Louis Family Church, land of the free, home of the brave, green pastures and quiet waters, prepared, sanctified, and made useful for the master's work. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 is where I want to finish. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I want to show you what God's doing in your life and in your case today. Hallelujah. If you'll get a good attitude, you get an attitude of the righteous, it will be better. You shake off any of the heaviness. How many of you have ever gone into a boat? You've been in a boat in your life. Let me see if you've been in a boat. I grew up with boats. In San Diego, mission, we lived right off Mission Bay. My dad had a boat. And barnacles would form on the hull of a boat. And they weren't always big. They were little microscopic little guys. And there's a whole industry out there. I have a friend who has a boat now, and they pay hundreds of dollars for a guy to get in a wetsuit in a tank and get a scraper and go down in his submerged boat and go scrape those barnacles off the hull. Why? Because it creates drag. And you get rid of those little tiny things that don't seem to be a problem, but just the, a number, just a little bit of them slows the boat down, makes the gas 
consumption different, makes it the speed go down, makes it inefficient. But you scrape it off, and then man, go, man, go. When Jack Ridley got the idea to make the adjustment to get the shock wave off of that little hinge, it was a little thing. But that little mustard seed step of faith caused the breakthrough. Can you imagine the exhilaration when they went and looked at the speedometer and saw that they finally made it through the shaking and then And I'm told that once they made it through that initial shaking, it leveled back out again. Imagine what that felt like. Imagine what it's gonna feel like when we break through to the other side of where we are right now. And while we feel this, this is weird, this is weird. Get the barnacles off your hull. Get the shock wave off your hinge. Get the parasitic drag off your wings. What does all that mean, Pastor Jeff? I don't know, you gotta figure it out for yourself. Find out what the Lord's saying. I know that when I went into work, I had to go in with a good attitude. They were paying me minimal pay. It was thankless. I was low man on the totem pole, but I didn't care because I knew I was contributing to delicious food for people. And I loved it. And all these years later, I got to talk to the head chef. And all these years later, I got to talk to the millionaire owner. And I told the millionaire owner, I worked with you and you used to come in and roll up your sleeves, put on an apron and help us with the dishes and you never made it, never demeaned us. You, you never treated it like it was a, a menial job. You treated it with respect. You treated me with respect. And you know what? I talk about this in conferences and seminars. I'm a pastor. I talk about it at our church. And, and, I, and I use you as an example of what, what real leadership is all about. He said, excuse me, honey, can you come over here for a minute? Can you tell my wife all this? And I did. And she's like, because the prophet is without honor in his own home and among his own kin. Let another man praise you, not your own lips. But I want you to understand, and your takeaway today is that whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do your work heartily unto the Lord. There's no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in, 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 in Sheol, but there is in this life. There's value in obedience. There's value in preparation. Preparation begets progress. Preparation is a statement of our commitment. Daniel studied the language, the linguistics of the Babylonians so that he, a man, you see a man skilled in his work, he'll stand before kings, he'll not stand before obscure men. And I want to tell you, Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. One great man this year said, 2021 is the year of the local church. And I believe it. And the guy that was our, our leader from our Bible school in the 70s, and, uh, he told us personally, in the end, church is going to be a very big deal. He said, when I return, I, he said, will I find faith on the earth? When he returned, I'm coming back to a glorious church without spot or blemish, sanctified and made useful. Look, here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's all stand up and I'll read it while you're standing. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look at somebody next to you and say, you're chosen. You're royal. You're holy. A people of God's own possession. Say it. A people of God's own possession. Why? So that you and I and we may proclaim the excellencies of him. Not the mediocrity of him. Not the dogma of our religious movement. Not a bunch of politicized concepts. Not who's more uh, religious. Not who's more intellectual. There's so much intellectualism in the church. Watch out for it. 
where people hold to a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. Stick with the basics. Stick with the fire of God. Stick with the fundamentals that'll keep you going and keep a pure heart and keep an attitude of the righteous. Hallelujah. Right? That's for somebody. Listen to what it says here. So that you and I and we can proclaim, I like the King James, show forth the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into this what? Mediocre light? Dim, blase moment? No. Everybody say marvelous. Now say it like you're, like you're British. Marvelous. Who was that that used to say you look marvelous? See, none of you guys watch television. Look at somebody next to you and say, you look marvelous. Look, look back at him and say, oh, behave. Billy Crystal? Billy Crystal. In the words of Billy Crystal, turn and say, you look marvelous. Listen. God is calling and preparing us to engage in simple ways the message of Jesus in a, in, a, in a paraphrase, in an organic flow of authenticity with lo, in a loving nature, in a compatibility with others. David adapted, Daniel adapted, Paul adapted. It became all things to all men that he might save some so that he could read the people of the Athenian poetry and the Stoics and the, and the philosophers of the, of, the, of the quirky hedonism of their time. Then he could morph over and he could preach in the synagogue all the law and the prophets and morph over and speak over to people that were completely lost and empty and come over and speak to the lofty, uh, uh, self-assured religious and be able to morph and, and become like shapeshifters for the glory of God. Everybody say, wax on. Wax off. So much of what you're learning, you don't even know how valuable it is. So much of your life, you don't even recognize how mighty you are. You are, God is inside of you. You have this treasure in earthen vessels. And so we prepare. The devil wants us to live below our uh, equipment. And God wants us to see, wow, I, when I pray, I get results. When I share the gospel, Signs and wonders follow. When I lay hands on the sick, they recover. Uh, when I go out and I'm, I'm singing praises and I believe in God, angels are all around me protecting me. I'm surrounded with favor as with a shield. Not only is like, I'm the, God, I, I, the lady that got a job and got a less pay but a happier place, and oh, then got a raise, or the, guy that, the other guy got the promotion but the boss wanted to keep him happy so gave him more money, that's my God. The lady who's coming out of this, this brain surgery this week, hallelujah, the victory is on her life and on her 15-year-old son. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Everybody say ready, ready. Set, set, go. God bless you guys. Have a good day.